and we're back. Uh, as you remember from last time, uh, this we're going to be talking this time around. We're going to be talking about what I can really say is a classic sci-fi film in a lot of ways. Nineteen uh, fifties Destination Moon, produced by one of the big names of sci-fi production at the time, a man by the name of George Pal, whose biggest film I would probably say is uh, the original War of the Worlds film. Okay, that must be what I've heard the name from. I recognize the name, but I couldn't quite place it. You also like the Time Machine and mm-hmm. handful of other big films at the time. But the other name that I think everyone will recognize in this film, or at least every sci-fi guy will know about this film, is. The screenplay is, was one of the writers was a little man named Robert A. Heinlein. Right. Yeah, and he also wrote the novel. And, you know, it, if you know about Robert Heinlein, you, you see him, yeah. his fingerprints all over this film. Yeah, I've, I've never really thought, like, Heinlein is a genius, but he's kind of a boring genius. <laughs> he's up there. He's definitely not, he, yeah. He's a genius and a whack job. That, but that's the thing, is, like, I could see his set in here, because, frankly, the movie was kind of boring. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of Contact. Yeah. Because they just spend the entire movie working towards the goal. Well, that's, that's another film written by a scientist. Mm. Or based on a novel written by a scientist. Which I guess, from a scientist's point of view, is that's the interesting part, is how do we get all this to happen? Yeah. But we'll talk about Carl Sagan another day. <laughs> but I suspect that this movie was more entertaining to people in their day than Contact was. Yeah. I will never say Carl Sagan is entertaining in that fun way where this film tries to be and is at times. But let, let, let's run through what this film is about if the title doesn't give it away. Yes, please, please. So we have a... This is 19... Feels like 1950. I think someone calculated the year like 1954 based on the calendar. Because, you know, nerds do that and like, oh, there's a calendar on that wall and that's... That's a, that, the first of June is a Saturday, and that means it's 1954. So it's early to mid 50s, mm-hmm. and this is the, really the era of American rocket science happening. Yeah, World War II is over. We've stolen all the German. We've got all, yeah. The, I mean, the first scene of the film is probably stock footage of one of our V2 launches, and so this one of the generals in the army, who is a retired a retired general who was involved with these these private industry projects is convinced that we need to get to the moon. Now, what, 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 is his, what is his reasoning for getting to the moon, if you remember? Oh, what was it? It was because if we don't, we being America, Western civilization... Meaning America. Right. If whoever was going to get to the moon was going to control the world. Control the world. And how are we going to do this? Uh, weren't they going to be able to launch missiles <laughs> Missiles the on the moon. Right. This is maybe the most Robert Heinlein moment of this entire film, <laughs> is, okay, we got to get to the moon... So we can put missiles on it, so we can defeat the, the communists. Right, so you have to get there, you have to beat... Now, they never said what other cultures. They only said those other people. I, I think we can, we can entirely assume. Well, I think what they were doing was one of the brilliant parts of the movie, which is trying to make it last longer. Because as, as intelligentsia would dictate that, they're like, okay, well, this communist thing... We'll probably blow over eventually. Yeah, you know, they were you know it's less than another forty years or so. Right, so you could you could do it then. Then later on, you could be like, well, it's this group that's you know, but you know, I, I like that they didn't say who. I I like it, but I think that it almost cheapens the film because I mean I think anyone watching it then immediately clicks to them and says Russians, and anyone watching it now, if you can you know if you know anything about the time period, 
you know, based on knowing the film or based on just looking at it, you know that this is a Cold War film in, yeah. in every way. And so this this, this V two rocket fails, mm-hmm. and they blame sabotage. Yes, it was sabotage. It was it wasn't bad American science. No, it was sabotage. In fact, to the point where later on in the episode, uh, sorry, the, in the movie, they they make a point of saying, well. The science is sound. The rocket should do what it does. We don't need any other tests. That failed test yeah. was the only test we need. And when you're left with your mouth wide up and going, what the fuck? As they're sitting in their <laughs> rocket to the moon. Right. <laughs> so that's our, you know, where we start our film. Mm-hmm. And for the next, like, 40 minutes of this film. Easily. I, I, I think if you time it, it's like 40 minutes of them getting into the rocket. Mm-hmm. Is them like talking about materials and planning and you know this very step by step look at it. look at how you would make a rocket and how you would do a launch to the moon. Yeah, and that was incredibly boring. And by the most memorable sequence of this of this part mm-hmm. is of course well, Woody Wood- the Woody Woodpecker a cartoon that was later used by NASA. Nice. I I, I had mentioned this before. I'm going to mention this again. I can't help but feel that Michael Crichton in Jurassic Park kind of, and I'll be kind and say homaged, instead of blatantly ripped off this scene when he has, like, Mr. DNA, who goes through and basically serves the same point. In this case, Woody Woodpecker's appearance allows you to learn more about rocketry, you the layman, whereas... You know, Mr. DNA lets you learn more about DNA and gene splicing from a very... And they're both very basic. Yeah. Like, they compare the rockets to a shotgun. Which, in a sense, makes sense. Because you're not going to say to a bunch of businessmen, mm-hmm. you know, a bunch of 1950s American businessmen with their cigarettes and cigars, mm-hmm. going to say, Newton's second law says that... For, oh, like third law says that every action has equal and opposite reaction. They'll explain something that, you know, Texas businessmen know. Shooting things. Well, my favorite part of that movie was at the end. They make no qualms about what the movie was for. Because he, like, Woody Woodpecker immediately throws his money into yeah. funding the project. Well, I think every, every man knew who, why they were there. Mm-hmm. That to, to give money and to work on this, this Rocket to the Moon project. Mm-hmm. Which takes, what, a year to get done? Uh, and I, they say in the film? I think a year, and it was supposed to be even less time. Like, it was supposed to be a little more time, but they cram it in. Yeah, so it's not... A lot of, uh... It's an impressively short period of time to get a man to the moon. Well, I think from their point of view, A, this is, and we're going to touch back on this, most assuredly a gigantic propaganda film. Oh, yeah, I, I don't think anyone doubts that. And that's And I think from that perspective, you're thinking, well, America can do anything. And from the other perspective, you know, if they're right, and it was sabotaged, and they didn't need any other tests, then the rocket itself has been tested. They know it works. They just have to build it. And then build a bigger one. Build one that can hold, like, people. five people? Four. Four. Which is one more than we, when we brought to the moon. And all four of them got on the moon, even. Yeah. We never did that. Did they? I think one might have stayed behind. Well, the, the rocket landed on the moon and launched from the moon. Right. We, we, were, we were something orbiting. Oh, I would say, probably all four, because there's a point where they're, like, all of them are just creating shit off of the rocket ship. Yeah. But, yeah, so the 40 minutes into the movie... We get onto the ship and we launch, and they had to launch in a rush because uh, because ginned up, ginned up. That's, this is the term. The ginned up population has has a problem with you know the idea that they have like a nuclear reactor. 
flying in, you know, this, this, this nuclear-powered ship. He's going to launch. And, you know, I mean, they've cleared out ten miles around. Mm-hmm. But... It's not a lot. It's no. No, I mean, you know, nuclear bombs are only destroyed, what, whole city at a time? Yeah. <laughs> but it's tested. It's it's tested. They're, they know it's going to work as long as no one else has sabotaged it. <laughs> so we'll do this in a, in a not not entirely unpopulated area. Mm-hmm. Like, ten miles, you'll, you'll hear that. Oh, yeah. And they even to the point where... Before they launch, some dude's trying to get in, so they race up the elevator and race the launch. Yeah. Oh, that was great. What is up with these freaking countdown people? Any person who did the countdown in this movie, they didn't do it like, you know, normal people do it. Ten, nine. They were like, ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four. Is it just screen time? <laughs> it might be, I don't know. Maybe maybe back in the day they didn't do things faster. A second was shorter back then. <laughs> Everyone knows in 1964, we, we lengthened the second. It'll be a little bit longer. I hadn't realized. It's, it's a little known fact. Uh, we deleted that part of history, though. We, we fixed that so you think that it's, you know... Apparently they missed this film. I'm very confused now. <laughs> so they, they, they race off to the moon, and this, I think, is actually the... Like, it's not more interesting, but it's more interesting from the perspective of when they were preparing for the flight, like those 40 minutes, there was surprisingly little science. Yeah. There really wasn't a lot of science. But once they hit space, this is the time where Heinlein and all these 1950s brains get to go, well, this is what How space would, we would be do like. This? And yeah. this is what it would be like. Well, they made some practical considerations in that first part. Like The one that I think is really kind of smart was the multicolored spacesuits. The multicolored spacesuits was good. And that was one of my, like, you know, that makes sense. The other part I thought I really enjoyed was the uh, concept of private industries building the programs with the intent to sell the technology yeah. to the government. Which obviously didn't happen. Right. We're now kind of doing, getting it the other way around again. Now. Exactly. Now we got private industry going into that. But 1950, I mean... This is considering that the bomb was a government project. Yeah. So, like, you know... I I, but I found was... I guess adapting the bomb. Mm-hmm. You know, once it's out there, we just adapt it to whatever we need it to be. But, so, yeah, they, um, they get up there and there's, there's science issues, like... You know, some dude puts grease on the antenna, and it freezes. Well, let's talk about that some guy. So, the standard Brooklyn, yeah. you know, pilot. That's all he's there. Joe he's a scientist. He's just like, hey, you know, what's up? They found it's like, it's like This thing's never going to take off. The actual guy wasn't there that day, apparently. He was sick that day. Mm-hmm. And so, I had to get Joe Sweeney. Yeah, I can fly this. No problem. It's never going to get off the ground. Well, apparently they didn't like have backup people trained for this. No. They just hope they could have someone ready. They just, yeah, exactly. They're like, well, I hope Joe doesn't have the flu. Unlike every single actual astronaut mission, where there's always a backup ready to go. So, yeah, so you have him. I'm actually, you know, the characters all started to blur together for me. Well, they were all just serious. Well, there's head scientist, there's general, secondary scientist, and Joe Sweeney. Yeah, we have the general, the space enthusiast general, we have two scientists, and we got Joe. Yeah. Joe, who, throughout the movie, I just kind of want to punch. <laughs> and I'll, I'll get I'll get more on that later. But well, we, we got a question from one of our listeners. Oh, right. did we? Yeah, we got some from, from the same listener. I call him Dad. Ah. Um, is Gilbert Godfrey the love child of Joe Sweeney and a moon maiden? Yes. Absolutely. That's... No question. Yeah, no, he's... he's he is like a the, the poor man's Gilbert Gottfried. And by that I mean infinitely less annoying than Gilbert Gottfried, while still being annoying. Yes. I mean, Gilbert Gottfried I want to murder. This guy I just kind of want to punch. punch. But uh, yeah, I can see the resemblance. There might be some ancestry involved there. 
Maybe like cousin or something. Uncle. Yeah, something like that. Just left family, left family gathering. But so, so, yeah, we have Joe. Joe's kind of a douche. Yep. Um, and Joe put grease on their antenna. But that's going to help them, like, you know, see things. Like some sort of sensory See antenna. things and, like, talk to the Earth again. Right, right, right. And so um, they got to go out into space and fix that. Which... I realized was enti- which was at- which itself was that scene gets ripped off in two thousand one. Mm-hmm. It does, yeah. or homage in two thousand one. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know where it goes. I don't know. You know, those are those are a little closer apart, but still, still a full nineteen years or seventeen years. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, he he had he had when they were building the rocket on Earth had greased the antenna. Yeah, because yeah, that's what you do. It needs grease. You know, if you're if, if you're a greaser from uh, Brooklyn, <laughs> which he probably was, probably. So they all have to go out to the and fix it. Like, except one dude, just, I think, is still on the ship. Yeah, I mean, you're just like one person inside the ship. So they go out with their magnet boots, which kudos to them. Smart and thinking, I like that. Not only did they, they they got the magnet boots, they got that the temperature in space was cold. Cold. But, you know, they didn't deal with the fact that if they were facing the sun, it was probably really hot. But, you know, well, I, I, I'm allowing some scientific inaccuracies. Well, they launched at night. So they were around the dark side, yeah. so, but God knows how long it's supposed to be taking them, or how long it took them in the process. Okay, yeah, get to that point. Um, I like how they deal with the functional relativity of speed. We're like, are we still moving? Although I'm kind of curious. I suppose there's no friction really in space, so if they were still moving, it really wouldn't bother them. No, but still, I mean, they're, like, they're kind of just drifting, honestly. Because once they've launched, they're not really expending any more. Right, the economy. Fuel to get to the moon. I think they're expending some. Maybe a little bit, but not... Because they had mentioned the fact that if they increased fuel something by this, this amount, then they could do it in two days instead of four. So, during... The, the well, flight, that might have been an initial speed. I don't know. I, I don't know about that, but we'll see. It doesn't matter. So, they fixed the antenna, but they lose some guy because of some stupid thing. Yeah. And... Yeah, then comes one of my first favorite inconsistencies where they throw a lasso in space. <laughs> it's a 50s movie. You can't help but throw a lasso in space. It doesn't work. No. At least at least it doesn't work. And but but it, no. So you can't say at least it doesn't work because it almost works. Okay. It almost gets there. He, they're just It's missed by a little bit and then they do some like air canister they do, they do the much smarter and actually fairly accurate thing to what they kind of do now. Mm-hmm. And they do kind of have a, a tiny jet's yeah, they, they use the fire extinguisher to uh, yep. travel in zero-G. So in any case, they do that. They get to the moon, losing a little, like, inefficiently. Yeah. They, they inefficiently land, which is going to cause them problems. They get there, my hands down, absolute, no questions asked, favorite part of this movie. They get off the ship. They're wandering around the surface of the moon. They take pictures, which happen... And they generate, if there was an internet, the first fucking internet meme in 1950. <laughs> because he has, he has the dude from Brooklyn stand out there, puff out his chest, raise his hand like you know he was straining. can't stream. see you do this. I know, but they, they could get it. Raise his hand like he was straining and cup the moon in his hand. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm almost willing to believe that some moon mission... Probably did that photo. I, I'm not... I wouldn't be surprised, but it just astounds me. It's like... I'm like, wow. As a person who lives in this gear, 
and goes on the internet. I'm like, I'm glad to see people were just as fucking retarded back then. That's like the Santa Torres photo of like, like, uh, I forget, not the Eiffel Tower, um, the Eiffel Tower of Pisa. Like, yeah, like, has probably been done for the past, since the invention of the camera. I'm just, it makes me happy to know that people were stupid back then. Favorite part of the movie, right there. They quickly, um, they do their moon things, and then they start doing the calculations, and they realize that they don't have enough fuel to get home. They don't even, they don't have, I should correct, they don't have enough fuel to break orbit from yeah. the moon. Or even get into orbit, maybe. Right. So, then they have to start losing weight, and you can see where it's going immediately. You know, like, it starts with a thousand pounds of weight. Like, actually, no, it ends, like, they get everything that they can think of that's easily removed from the ship off, and then... And then they need Earth more. just like, yeah, we still need to lose a thousand pounds. And then anything, anything that's bolted down goes. Right. So, like, your radio, your navigation no, system. they didn't lose the radio. Not, not to the very, very end. They, they lose almost everything, and then they're still like, well, it's gotta be one of us. We're still a little short. So then, like, they can't get rid of the pilot, because he's gotta fly the fucking ship. And he really didn't want to be there that day. So, that, but by the way, this this is the key point where I hate this fucking guy. Where Joe the Greaser is just like, oh man, if I could have just like, I could have like gone on a barrel down Niagara Falls or something and had my death mean something. He's on <laughs> the goddamn moon. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm only one of the first four people on the moon. <laughs> I could have he's, shot myself in the head and had it mean something. Yeah, he's one of the first f- people on in space. To leave the Earth. <laughs> he's the, one of the first four people on the moon. He drove the damn ship. But he'd rather go off Niagara Falls and have his death mean something. Yep. Fuck that dude. <laughs> well, in, in the meantime, the other three are all arguing, which of us is going to die? Right, and they're fighting, and he's just like, I, 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 Fuck it, I'm out. I, well, first, he's just like, I love his solutions. He's just like, why don't you, like, shoot for it or something? I was just as smart as whatever they were going to do anyway. <laughs> and then he leaves the ship, and then the scientists actually think, and they manage to, like, unbolt the radio system, tell Earth they're on their way in, throw the radio in the last spacesuit, which couldn't weigh that much. Yeah, probably a few hundred pounds. It didn't, like, ours do, but theirs didn't look they, like they that Theirs look that heavy. Theirs look pretty heavy. I mean, we don't see much padding or anything else in there, but I'm going to assume theirs are approximate to what ours are. Sure. But in any case, they, they get it all off, and apparently that's enough weight to take off from the moon and go home. And then they have apparently, at the end of the movie, this is something, I, I don't watch too many movies from this era, but then they have, like, the trailer at the end. Oh, that's a lot, a lot of DVDs, a lot of cheap DVDs do that. Apparently, no, this was a thing they did, though, where, like, like they used to do where, um, you know, you have the end title cards, and then they herald the, the new, the dawn of the space age. But that was pretty fun. Well, let, let, let's talk about what the last words of the film are. What was it? Uh, the end of the, the beginning. beginning, right? Um, it was an interesting movie. It is by every like no one can argue that this is a historically important movie. This is this is our brains trying to wrap a concept, the concept of getting out of space. What? Um, Twenty years before we actually managed to get to the moon. Nineteen years, yeah. Nineteen years, and it, it, it has a fair amount of science behind it, and you can't help but think that in this time, this is just what our scientists thought about, and they weren't right, and they learned things. They were on the right track, I'd say, by like 
Mm-hmm. But this is, you know, 19 years, really, you know, this is one guy writing a novel. Right. And some of these guys, um, some of the things I I think is more like, well, let's add this thing to make, like, I think The Last on Space was totally just like, we have to have some sort of failed I feel like, attempt. I feel like it was like a, like a director or something, not one right. of the science guys on the, on the set. I have no doubt that the science is what... That's probably not how that would work. Or that's that you're a moron. Yeah, I'm Robert Heinlein. Militarism. But, um... So I'm willing to excuse some of that. Um, I don't know how well it holds out. It does make me kind of crave movies that don't go out of their way to explain stuff. Just because, like, you know, a lot of times it seems bogged down in that. And especially, especially in this kind of movie where you don't know. Like, they didn't know what anything was like. Trying to explain the science behind it got tedious. I don't know. I don't know. It didn't, it didn't bother me that much. Personally, I mean, I know you don't like too much science in your films, it feels like. It's not that. I don't like too much pseudoscience in my films. I didn't feel like pseudoscience, though. I mean, it was, it was speculative. It was speculative, but a lot of the things were just felt off, and sometimes for plot purposes, it didn't really work for me, like, like a thousand pounds. I know things can be important in space, and I know weight can be important, but I felt like... The numbers were probably off, but the concept was... Was there, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, they probably should calculate their fuel better. Yeah. In any case, I felt. I guess my my biggest qualm about the movie was just that it felt kind of boring. I don't think I wasn't really bored by it. I, I mean, I, I had the. I mean, I enjoyed it on the level of I like the, I like films and stories about the human endeavor in science, mm-hmm. and it's also it is a propaganda piece, and that is a is a fascinating look. It, it, at a, Cold War politics and absolutely, it's a fascinating look at American culture at that point. Capitalism, Cold War politics. Historically, it's very interesting. But we've had pieces that explore human endeavor and science in more interesting ways, like and keep it more interesting. I, I didn't have the problem of being uninterested. I know, but I did. Well, you're a bad person then. Well, I think maybe you are. Well, you're clearly wrong. Uh huh. In any case. There's um, one more thing I want to bring out. Sure. This one Oscar special effects in 1950. Mm-hmm. Now, the one that really stood out to me mm-hmm. is when they are launching from Earth, accelerating, and, ha- and as their faces yeah. pulled back. Yeah. What, what did you think of that? I felt it was a little over-dramatized. I, I, it was definitely dramatic, but I think it did visually a good job of what it... What you know, to a way of visualizing that high-speed change. No, I don't think it was horrible. But I don't know that it was, like, brilliant or anything. I think it was just another piece of the puzzle where they're trying to be as accurate as possible. Which is their their wondrousness and their failure. I, I thought it was very cleverly done. It doesn't... It doesn't you can't see, like, obvious cheapness no. to it. You can't see... No. It's still kind of like human skin. Um, a lot of it was cleverly done, I thought. Some of it was horrible. Like, the spacewalk was intriguing. Not great, but intriguing. Um, and that was, like, a well-done effect. I think there were a lot of good effects. Yeah, it had, it had very good effects for, for its time, in general. And Definitely. For practical effects now, it's still good. Mm-hmm. I think that this is a move... As much as I'm saying, from my point of view, it's boring. Which I think you can alleviate by a simple drinking game. But... <laughs> but in any case. Um, I think... That it's almost it almost should be mandatorily watched. 
Yeah. Like, this should be a, a movie that you have to see in school. If you're a sci, if, especially if you're a sci-fi fan, but like in a history class, if you're doing history or frankly physics. Yeah, I mean, I think I think really the film for me shines as a as a, as a museum piece. It's honestly. a museum piece, and I think it belongs in history. But at the same time, I think that it would behoove scientists to look at where they came from. Yeah, absolutely. And from that perspective, I'm just saying, you know, it would be a fitting piece in a high school science class. Like, this is where we came from. This is what we thought about things, and this is how we developed. I can see that. But in any case, I think you should definitely go see this. It's it's worth it, even if it's not the most interesting piece in the world. For some of you, and for others of you, apparently, it will be the most interesting piece in the world. I, I like it most interesting, but it's definitely one of those that so fascinated me in what it did, what it was trying to do. This is, I, was, I found a book in my room that was Scientists in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and this is like the first film, really, that mm-hmm. tried to do science right. And, and I don't think there's been a film where like science is done completely right. It won an Academy Award for visual effects. Academy Award for Best Art Direction, and a bunch of other awards. And it's in the... It was nominated for AFI's Top 10 Science Fiction Film List. What do you think about the soundtrack? I don't really remember that that much, honestly. It, it struck me as very it, patriotic. Yeah. Well, the whole film is, you know, very patriotic. Which, you know, adds to its interestingness. Or my fascination with it. So I'm, I'm guessing we're giving it about three thumbs up. Yeah. Two, two from Vincenzo and one from myself, but... Definitely with the supposition that you should still watch it. It's, it's, it's important to watch, which I don't say about many movies. It, it's definitely up there with, like, 2001 of, like, sci-fi people should see. Not only sci-fi people should see, but I think that this particular movie just is a more, has a more global requirement. Yeah. Just because of, like, what it means. Like, there's so much stuff from so many different angles. If you're a political science major... You have to see this movie. If you're a capitalist, you know, if you're like a business or finance, there's actually some interesting stuff about like their proposition, prepositions about what the space programs would look like. And you might actually be able to learn something now that we're trying to transition everything to. to back, know, back to yeah. Cap- yeah, the private. So, in any case, that's what I think. And I, I think we've made our thoughts pretty okay. clear on this one. Next one is going to be a doozy, right? I don't think it's a doozy. I think you don't remember the film too well. I think it's disgusting, and there's going to be like lots of tentacles and horrible sex scenes and everything. But you know, so, I'll forgive it. I had promised this that when I got a pick on the list, because Diego says he likes. I re- I, I you have said like attached to the work. I found it intriguing when I was a kid, and I still might. The first director. Solo directorial piece by one of my favorite anime directors, uh, a man by the name of Yoshiaki Kawajiri. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you are a nerd like me about him, you'll know that this is, of course, the first of his cities, which is, of course, Wicked City. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go. We're gonna watch Wicked City. And we're gonna see how much you know. Fourteen year old uh, DM feels about feels the same way about adult DM. We'll see where... We'll see how I've evolved. Or I'll just totally collapse back in on himself. Yeah, my mind might explode. But in any case, I, I think that's a wrap. That's That'll be next time.